I'm an American. And I believe in American ingenuity and hard work, unlike my friend here, Cam Brady, who believes that everyone should live in rainbow land. Okay. I'm referring to a 13-page doctrine written by Camden Brady called Rainbow Land. I think anybody that writes about the redistribution of wealth sounds like a communist to me. Am I right? Hold on. It is the simple story of a teddy bear giving a pot of gold to a leprechaun, okay? That's right. May I read from page seven? Please come with me to Rainbow Land, where unicorns are made of fudge and cotton candy, and everything is free. It's a fictitious place. Rainbow Land, is, it's fiction. I guess we're all idiots, according to Cam Brady. I didn't say that. I did not say that. Hey, hey, I do not want to live in Rainbow Land, and you can't make me live in Rainbow Land. This is America. You do not have to live in Rainbow Land. You can go to Rainbow Land. It does Land. not exist. It's a fictitious place. I was eight when I wrote it. It's, it's right here in his tradition. communist manifesto. I won't go to everybody this is ed hoffman and welcome to the main event open up with that uh scene from the movie the campaign about rainbow land where everything where everything's free and everything everybody gets to eat candy and uh and made of marshmallows and life is beautiful and everything is free and uh you know it's a communist manifesto that's where we all live today where we all live today and and as uh, as we progress through the show you'll You'll hear more and more about that and just think about the Rainbow Land thing. And uh, that song was Eric Clapton, uh, Cocaine, for uh, obvious reasons, because, uh, you know, we've got cocaine in the White House. We've got cocaine in the White House. We have a former drug drug addict that we can't believe anything he said, because during that time in his life, you know, he he could have said anything because he was addicted to drugs. And of course, now we know there's cocaine in the White House. And we'll talk more about that in the second half. But before I get on to everything that's going on this week, let me introduce myself. For those of you who don't know me, my name's Ed Hoffman with United American Mortgage. If you're interested in getting involved in any of the fantastic opportunities that are real estate and you need financing, call me toll-free at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. One last time, toll-free, area code 855-640-2020. If you want to talk on the phone about real estate or financing, but you don't want to talk, uh, but you don't want to if you want to get some information about real estate or financing, but you don't want to talk on the phone, go to edhoffman.net, click on the United American Mortgage logo, and that'll take you to my lending page. You can put in as much information as you want me to have. Tell me how much information you want back. You'll hear back from either myself or one of my talented teammates, and we'll help you find the real. St- we'll fi- help you find the missing pieces to your real estate financing puzzle. 
Um, if you missed any part of the show or you missed the whole show, um, you can always get this podcast on at Hoffman.net. Click on the podcast page and uh, you'll see uh, several this show as well, several past shows. You can also get the, the podcast on SoundCloud or iTunes, Apple Podcasts, where you can actually subscribe for free. And uh, I record on Friday mornings and Friday afternoon it uploads and shortly thereafter it'll download to your device and you can listen to it on demand. This week I'm recording from God's country in Montana. And uh, Don and I are up here getting away from the heat. It's uh, it's a beautiful uh, 70-something degrees up here. Uh, it's clear. Um, it was a very American 4th of July weekend last last weekend. Lots of 4th of July fireworks going everywhere. You know, we're on the outskirts of Bozeman. We're not in the city limits where fireworks are, uh, are banned, but we're on the outskirts in Gallatin County where uh, everybody says, hey, we're going to show you we're not in Bozeman, we could use as much as we want. And uh, surprisingly, there was lots of pops and uh, no gunshots, just fireworks and celebration. It was beautiful. It was so America up here. So uh, what else did I forget to do? So if you so if, if you want to hear the show, go to edhoffman.net or go to uh, iTunes, hear it on the podcast. And if you have comments on the on the show, um, give me a uh, email at ed to send me an email to ed at edhoffman.net. And uh, let's get on with what's going on this week. So uh, as we all know, the Supreme Court struck down the president's $430 billion plan to wipe out a portion of federal student loan debt for 40 million dollars, 40 million Americans, which sounds like a lot. But when you consider there's 300, 300 million Americans that don't have student loans or have paid off their student loans, that are paying the taxes for these things. You know, the government's not paying it. The taxpayers are paying it. Keep all that stuff straight in your head. So I was watching, uh, I was watching the five on Fox. Um, I watched about 10 minutes of it um, yesterday. And, and uh, they're talking about how the economy is doing so much better in red states versus blue states. And, uh, and Jessica Tarloff, Democrat leftist extraordinaire. She goes, well, you know, the, the people in the blue states are tired of paying for the people in the red states because we pay the high, we pay the higher taxes. So we're paying for the people in the red states. Really? Guess what? The states don't pay taxes. The people pay taxes. And the people are moving out of blue states. And that's why the red states are doing so much better because the productive people are saying, I'm not having this stuff. So uh, keep that, keep that in, uh, in, uh, in your heads that when they say, hey, we, we're going to help out 40 million people, that's about... That's about a uh, less than that's about fifteen percent of the of the country, and it's only and it's only ten thousand bucks. So anyway, so in a six three decision, the high court ruled that the Biden administration did not have the authority to forgive hundreds of billions of dollars in student loans by using the two thousand three Heroes Act, which was designed to help alleviate student loan debt for those fighting the war on terror. Of course, that was that was designed to hey, you know, you're going to war. You're going to war. The government sent you to war to go fight the war on terror. Um, you don't have to pay your student loan payments while you're gone. And we're not going to charge you any interest during that time. And if you're going to school, if you're if you're actively in, in school, you don't have to pay your tuition because obviously you can't go to class. Um, and, and realize that when this law was passed, it was 2003, the Republicans uh, controlled the Congress and they did what was right for the for the American people, they did what was right for the soldiers, and they did, and they made prudent, 
intelligent decisions. Hey, let's take care of these guys, but we're not going to screw the taxpayers in the process. In the majority opinion, Chief Justice wrote, the HEROES Act allows the Secretary of Education to waive or modify existing provisions applicable to financial assistance programs under the Education Act. It does not allow the Secretary to rewrite the statute to the extent of canceling $430 billion of student loan principal. So again, um, it, it, waves, it waives the payments, waives the interest, uh, and, and keeps them from accruing and while these people are deployed. Okay, so the morning of the decision, constitutional law expert Jonathan Turley explained that, that the White House knew all along that using the HEROES Act for a sweeping debt forgiveness was, to say the least, a stretch. The president knew that. And so he used this very short law. It's only a few pages long, designed to protect people that were going uh, to fight our wars and to relieve them of the duty to pay tuition. Um, it was a rather cynical use of this law, in my view, because it uh, it never it was plausible that Congress ever had this intent uh, behind the law. That's what the court found today. And the leading witness for the majority was former Speaker Nancy Pelosi. And they quote her at length and say, of course, a president can't do this. And the president's going to have to go back to Congress and do it the way the Constitution requires. Well, he certainly can't go to Congress to do it now because the Republicans are in control there. Here's the original Nancy Pelosi remark from two years ago on the president's lack of authority in this area. People think that the president of the United States has the power for debt forgiveness. He does not. He can postpone, he can delay, but he does not have that power. That would that has to be an act of Congress. Well, the Congress did have the power to Congress does have the the power to wipe out the debt, but when it went to Congress, Congress said, "Well, these guys borrowed this money. They should pay it back. But we are sending them out to fight our war." So we should cut them some slack and stop the interest and stop the payments so they don't mess up their credit and they don't go into default. And, uh, and if they're going to school, let's stop. Let's say you don't have to pay your tuition because we pulled you away from it. The American people called on you and you answered the call. We're going to take care of you guys in, in this area. Well, far left members of Congress disagree and now they're demanding that the Supreme Court prove its own legitimacy or face some kind of punishment, including giving up their lifetime appointments. Surprise, surprise, the spokesman for this viewpoint is the bartender, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez. We really need to be having conversations about judicial review um, as a check on the courts as well. There also must be impeachment on the table. We have a broad level of tools to deal with misconduct, overreach and abuse of power. And the Supreme Court has not been receiving the adequate oversight necessary in order to preserve their own legitimacy. Yeah, the uh, Supreme Court doesn't have the oversight, hasn't been, hadn't, hasn't had the, the proper oversight. Well, the Supreme Court is the oversight. They're the oversight to make sure that people aren't overreaching on, on what the Constitution says and how the laws are written. And the oversight on the Supreme Court is Congress. Hey, if you guys don't like the, the way the Supreme Court is interpreting the existing laws, then you say, okay, the Supreme Court ruled on this. 
that we just need to make new laws and you got to get them passed. You can't just say, well, this is the one we liked. So let's beat up on the Supreme Court because they didn't agree that it was legal. Justice Roberts also wrote that modifying the HEROES Act created a novel and fundamentally different loan for giving forgiveness program that expanded forgiveness to nearly every borrower in the country. So the HEROES Act was designed for people that were sent to war. And instead, they're going, hey, we're going to give it to everybody just because you have a student loan and just because I need you to vote for me. I need you to vote for uh, for Democrats. So we're going to give some some forgiveness and see how that works. So uh, in a White House speech delivered hours after the decision, Joe Biden said that was kind of his point. He also compared compared the cost of his plan to the Paycheck Protection Program. Let me begin by saying I know there are millions of Americans, millions of Americans in this country who feel disappointed and uh, discouraged or even a little bit angry about the court's decision today on student debt. And I must admit I do too. I was trying to provide students with ten to twenty thousand ten to twenty thousand dollars in relief. By comparison, the average amount forgiven in the PPP for the pandemic loan program, average amount forgiven was seventy thousand dollars. Now a kid making sixty thousand bucks, trying to pay back his bills, asking for ten thousand dollars in relief. Come on. The hypocrisy is stunning. That's like saying, hey, the average amount of uh, of Christmas gifts that that children of rich people got was like uh, uh, $1,500 worth of, of uh, gifts on Christmas. And it's not fair that other kids, that poor, poor parents, poor parents, kids don't get that much in presents. So the government's going to step in and make that right. What does one have to do the other? The Paycheck Protection Program was because was it was a uh, was a fund to help people keep their businesses open after the government shut it down, shut them down after the government decided that hey we we have to get rid of Trump so bad that we need to make sure that he doesn't get reelected so we need to have some way to cheat and in order to cheat we have to make all mail in votes so that makes it way easier to cheat and how else can we do that but we have to have a pandemic uh, so we can keep everybody shut in their houses and they created this this uh, COVID-19, and they scared everybody into staying home, and they closed the economy. And you remember in the early times, Trump goes, hey, we got to get the economy back open. We got to get the economy back open. The, the the cure for this disease can't be worse than the disease. And of course, so we uh, so number one, the Paycheck Protection Program was for that, after the government forced people into closing their business. Number two, Paycheck Protection Program had no oversight. No oversight at all. It had it was complete financial irresponsibility because they gave they gave it to not only companies that needed it, but just to any company. And for that matter, companies that didn't even exist. You could fill out these forms and they'll just send out checks. And people were abusing it. Abusing it. I know companies that were that were were doing a, a 110% of the amount of business they were doing. Uh in the in the financial real estate business part of that and uh they said well hey i've got 10 employees to worry about yeah but your employees are working at at 110 of capacity and they're you're making you know buckets of money uh well you know hey just smiled at me and then as soon as uh as soon as that happened as soon as that happened uh you know they sold the company because with all the business going it was it was they were you know had a a big value on that company and they just walked away, sold it. 
Well, what about that PPP loan? I already took care of it. I paid it out in a, paid it out in a payroll. All right. So complete financial irresponsibility on, on behalf of the government um, with our money. And, uh, and the, the third thing I want to point out is $10,000 won't do anything. When Biden talks about, hey, we're giving these people that are struggling a little bit of a little bit of relief, ten, these people think they're getting a check for ten thousand bucks. They're not. They were just going to reduce their the debt. They're going to reduce the balance on the debt they don't pay anyway. So anyway, uh, Biden's plan B at canceling student debt has apparently been in the works for over a year. So clearly, his administration knew their first plan was an overreach, and the court was going to strike it down. This new plan is called. Saving on a valuable education or save. S O A V E, save. Uh, I don't know how that came out. An extension of the existing income driven repayment plan instituted under Obama. Yep, it's four letters S O A V E. Hey, four letters J O B. It's what? Hey, I'll give you one word made in America. You know, just to give you some more uh, Biden gas. The details from whitehouse.gov on this uh, new plan. This income-driven repayment plan will cut borrowers' monthly payments in half, allow many borrowers to make $0 monthly payments, save all the borrowers at least $1,000 a year, and ensure borrowers don't see their balances grow from unpaid interest. So number one, income-driven repayment plan is already there. Um, So I don't know what this is going to do, but it's going to make sure that they don't see balances grow from their unpaid, unpaid interest. So they're going to lower the payments, lower the payments to below what the interest is and not let them charge interest on the interest they didn't pay. This, in other words, they're not going to compound it. So uh, specifically, the plan will, for undergraduate loans, which means people that are only going for a bachelor's degree, cut in half the amount of the borrowers have to pay each month from 10% to 5% of discretionary income, which will just stretch it out. Instead of paying it off in 25 years, you'll pay it off in you know, 80 years. Raise the amount that is considered non-discretionary income and therefore is protected from repayment, guaranteeing that no borrowers earning under 225% of the federal poverty level, about annual equivalent of a $15 minimum wage for a single borrower, will have to make monthly payment under this plan. So again, they're finding ways to not make people make payments and just stretch it out longer and longer and longer. Uh, they'll forgive balances. They'll forgive balances after ten years of payments instead of twenty years of payments for borrowers with original loan balances of twelve thousand or less, which are not most people. The department estimates this reform will allow nearly all community college borrowers to be debt free within ten years. Really? So if you pay on your loan, the, the absolute minimum you can get away with for ten years, the rest of it just goes away. Can I get that on my house? Hey, I'll pay. I got a 30 year loan, but I'll pay payments for 10 years. And then the rest just goes away. All right. Okay. 20 years. That's fine too. All student borrowers in repayment will be eligible to enroll in the SAVE plan, S O A V E plan, later this summer before any monthly payments are due. Of course, it won't go into effect until next year, but, you know, hey, you can, you can sign up for it before you have to start making payments. Biden announced this plan in the same White House speech last Friday. First, I'm announcing today a new path consistent with today's ruling to provide student debt relief to as many borrowers as possible, as quickly as possible. We will ground this new approach in a different law than my original plan, the so-called Higher Education Act. 
That, I, that will allow Secretary Cardona, who's with me today, to compromise, waive, or release loans under certain circumstances. This new path is legally sound. It's going to take longer, but in my view, it's the best path that remains to providing for as many borrowers as possible with debt relief. Yeah, so it's uh, uh, it's the best path. It's the best path to to give debt relief. Um, let me let me point out some things here. Here's some some provisions to take note of reported by Politico. Lowering the monthly payment is only for undergraduate borrowers. In other words, for people who have a are only going for a bachelor's degree only. If you're going for a master's or a PhD, doesn't doesn't matter for that. Um, parent plus uh, borrowers remain excluded from the new bar program. In other words, parents who took out federal loans for their kids are not eligible. It's only for students who took out their own loans for themselves. There's a phased implementation for this program. In other words, cutting payments in half is not available until July of next year, when we'll be almost ready to boot Biden out of the White House. There are new interest limits. Borrowers won't have to pay interest that accrues in a month beyond what is covered by their monthly payment, which is what I was saying earlier. If uh, if you're only paying half the interest and no principal, the other half the interest that you're not paying won't compound. So for those of you that have loan modifications, you could probably see on your uh, on your uh, your mortgage statements. Uh, here's here's the portion of the principal of your loan that's accruing interest, and here's the one that's not accruing interest. So uh, from all those uh, loan modifications from uh, 2008 area. And the price tag for this new plan right now, it's reportedly at $156 billion over the next decade. Well, that's one third of what he was going to do. The second part is a so-called on-ramp for loan repayment. Biden says once borrowers start repaying their loans on October 1st, their credit won't take a hit if they miss payments. Second, we know what many borrowers will need to make their hard choices which their, which their budgets are being strained now when they start to repay their monthly loan payments this fall. Normally, this could lead borrowers to fall into delinquency in default. But without their financial, it will hurt their financial security, and that's not good for them or the economy. That's why we're creating a temporary 12-month, what we're calling, on-ramp repayment program. And now, this is not the same as a student loan pause. It's been in effect for the past three years. Monthly payments will be due. Bills will not go out and interest will be accruing. And during this period, if you can pay your monthly bills, you should. But if you cannot, if you miss payments, this on-ramp will temporarily remove the threat of default or having your credit harm, which can hurt borrowers for years to come. Because the Department of Education won't refer borrowers. And the reason why that will work, they won't refer borrowers who miss payments to credit agencies for 12 months to give them a chance to get back up and running. This is not like a, a student loan pause, except for it's exactly like a student loan pause. Hey, the payments will be due, but if you can't make them, don't make them. And if you can't make them because uh, you didn't want to, then don't make them. And, uh, you know, hey, you know, there's no sense in you paying the debt and realize, again, who loaned these people this, the money? Us taxpayers did. And if you borrowed it, pay it back. So what will lenders do during this time? Hey, they're not going to hit your credit. But just like these, uh, these issues with forbearance plans on your mortgage during COVID, um, they're going to say, hey, you got student loan. It shows a payment. 
but it doesn't show any late payments, but it doesn't show any, it's not, they're not reporting either. So we want to see your payment history for the last 12 months. Hey, we know that everybody's not making payments up until September 1st. And it's September 1st, you got to start making your payments back. So next March, when you're buying a house, you better be making your payments because we're going to ask for it. Uh, but this isn't good enough for Democrat members of Congress who championed Biden's original plan. Those members want an on-ramp period to include no interest for the first 12 months of repayment. Here's Ro Khanna of California and once again, the bartender. I believe that um, there are several steps that we should be considering as well to go a step beyond. I would like to see interest payments suspended during this time, especially during that 12-month ramp up period. I do hope that the White House will make sure that the interest doesn't accrue starting in September. I know the president has said he isn't going to refer students to the credit agency. I also believe under the Higher Education Act, he can stop the interest accrual. Yeah, well, these are the two most intelligent uh, Democrats in the in the Congress, not, and they. But they. Th this is what they think should be done. And uh, is it is it their money? No. Whose money is it? It's ours. So if you have if you have an opinion on this, don't sit back and say, oh, I don't want to make anybody mad because they might be needing this this repayment. Say something. You borrowed the money. Freaking pay it back. Hey, anyway, I'm all out of time for this half of the main event. Stay tuned for five minutes weather, traffic, sports, and commercials, and I'll be right back with lots more. Welcome back to part two of the main event. My name is Ed Hoffman with United American Mortgage. I don't talk a lot about real estate and finance on the radio, but you know, when I'm not on the radio, that's all I talk about. In fact, my wife is uh, is starting to get annoyed with this stuff. Hey, you know what? Will you stop talking about real estate and finance and let's enjoy our time together? So uh, I'm trying, I'm trying, but you know, the phone keeps ringing. You guys need help and uh, I help you. So, but if you, if you need some help with your finances, if you want to find out if you're uh if you're positioned properly, if uh, you know, if you got, hey, I got a three percent mortgage, I don't want to refinance it. I owe fifty thousand, uh, but I owe one hundred fifty thousand dollars on credit cards and car payments, and uh, those student loan things. That just that Biden plan just doesn't seem to make sense. Uh, is there a is there a smarter way to pay that stuff off? Uh, have a lot of equity. Um, call me. 855-640-2020. That's eight five five six four zero twenty twenty. If you want to figure out refinancing a piece of property you own, or if you want to figure out purchasing a property you'd like to own, whether that property is in California or another state, um, give me a call. Or if you want to learn about one of those reverse mortgage things that uh, helps you bridge the gap between how much money you have in your bank account and how much life you have left in your life, 855-640-2020, uh, or go to edhoffman.net and uh, click on the United American Mortgage logo, and we'll do the cyber thing. Okay, so uh, the first half, we talked about student loan forgiveness. So if you missed the first half, you don't want to miss that. Uh, go to edhoffman.net, click on the podcast page or listen on the podcast. Uh, but this time, we're going to talk about the, the fact that the White House is at its rock bottom. No pun intended. We all know by now what was discovered there this week, but we'll get to that in a minute. First, the New York Times published a story that makes it clear that they're done pretending 
that there's a functional that there's a functional first family in the living in the White House. Hunter Biden's daughter and a tale of two families. The story surrounding the president's grandchild. I mean, this is coming. This is coming out of the New York Times. This isn't coming from Fox News. This isn't coming from Newsmax. This isn't coming from One America or Real America News. This isn't coming from Five Ninety The Answer or Ed Hoffman. This is coming from the New York Times. Is saying this stuff. They say the story surrounding the president's grandchild in Arkansas, who has not yet met her father or her grandfather, is about. Money, corrosive politics, and what it means to have the Biden birthright. One excerpt from the article. The girl is aware that her father is Hunter Biden and her paternal grandfather is the President of the United States. She speaks about both of them often, but has not met them. It describes how Hunter's settlement with London Roberts includes a monthly child support payment and turning over a number of paintings to the four-year-old. Just what every little girl wants, paintings from her deadbeat dad's money laundering scam. And also in the article, in the White House, matters involving Hunter are so sensitive that only the president's most senior advisors talk to him about his son, according to people familiar with the arrangement. And yet, Hunter is everywhere with his dad in recent weeks. I'm sure you've seen it on TV, boarding Marine One with him to, to Camp David, at a state dinner with Indian President Modi, watching the 4th of July fireworks with the family at the White House, and maybe even living there. Even the fact checkers aren't sure if he is or not. And you know what? My wife and I talk about this. Is it is it that Hunter's there to make sure that, to be to be dad's seeing eye dog because he's afraid he's going to do something stupid and and uh, and look stupid? He's there to protect his dad, or is he there because he doesn't have a job and dad need dad needs to make sure that the taxpayers are keeping him fed and living in the in luxury. One thing that is for sure, that plea deal Hunter got two weeks ago is unheard of. U.S. Attorney David Weiss, who worked out the plea, continues to send letters to the congressional Republicans claiming that IRS whistleblower Gary Shapley is wrong when he says the DOJ tied Weiss's hands. All right. All right. You just didn't you didn't want to you didn't want to charge him with anything else. Weiss, Weiss says he won't discuss why he didn't file additional charges against Hunter in D.C. and California until the appropriate time. In other words, one of the committees will have to subpoena him to testify. I'm not going to say it till I, can, uh, till I can say, hey, I'm sorry, I gave up the information that the Biden administration didn't want me to say. They subpoenaed me. What else could I do? Or wait till I write my book and I get a big, uh, a big giant advance for it. Here's some good insight from criminal defense attorney Joanne Spilbar. Let me tell you how this works in the real world. In the real world, any defense attorney who could negotiate this kind of deal, which is basically a unicorn because it never happens, would get a medal from all of his or her friends and colleagues. But this deal did not happen because of fancy criminal defense work. This deal happened because of the Biden name. And you can and David Weiss can say it didn't happen that way. He could say he was limited uh, geographically, which, by the way, what does that even mean? If you are in charge of an investigation and you need assistance from fellow U.S. attorneys, you don't ask for permission. You call them up and say, hey, we're working together now. You don't have to uh, wait for them to say no. That's not really how it works. And look, this whole thing happened because the Biden administration, DOJ, 
wants America to stay stupid and wants this case to go away. And they think that by this plea deal, which basically reduces what should be several felony charges down to a couple of misdemeanors and diversion is going to shut everybody up and we'll all go home and we won't worry about Hunter Biden anymore. Yeah, exactly. Hey, you know, $2.2 million in tax evasion, tax avoidance, any of that stuff. And it's a misdemeanor. I mean, I can understand if he stole under $950 worth of tax money from California, but this is federal and it's $2.2 million. I don't know. I'm kind of thinking that I'd be in jail if I were there, but this is just a misdemeanor. And, and you know what it's, uh, when it comes to guns, there's, there's a mandatory kind of sentences for these things. And, uh, it's just, and you know, I'm just, I just amazed at this stuff. I was watching an episode of Cops and saw saw uh, a, a cops pick up some guy in uh, in in Las Vegas where the, where Nevada has open carry state and uh, but he had a gun in his pocket and the cop goes okay well um, Nevada's open carry state which means if you're carrying it on your belt where it's clearly visible it's okay but you had it in your pocket so that's a problem and he starts talking to him about you know why are you carrying a gun and well it's a rough neighborhood and. And all the things, and he goes, and uh, and he's got, he's on drugs and doing all this stuff, and he goes, hey, uh, uh, and he says, and he says, hey, I got out, of, I got out of the service, and I came out here, I can't find a job, and he goes, oh, you're in the service, so what were you in? I'm in the army. Oh, and the cop goes, okay, well, thank you for your service. I was in the air force. I understand, and uh, and he's trying to help him. I'll, I'll hook you up with these services to help you out, but you know what? You had the gun. It's in your pocket. Nothing I can do. You're going to jail. And do you think uh, anybody gave that same kind of treatment to Hunter Biden? Ah, uh, I don't think so. And uh, and what about those misdemeanors? Here's more from Joanna Spilbor. And can we just talk for a minute? M- misdemeanors? The the IRS doesn't get out of bed for misdemeanors. This never happens on tax charges. Number one and number two diversion you know what really strikes me about the diversion charge which relates to the to the gun lying on the gun application is diversion takes a case out of the criminal lane right that's the purpose of it you're diverted out of criminal procedure and it's usually done with somebody who has an active drug or alcohol addiction to give them another chance Uh, is hunter biden still actively uh, under the influence of drugs i thought that ship had sailed for him so why take his case when he's no longer allegedly a a drug addict and use diversion to get him out from under a criminal conviction on the gun charge it makes no sense no it does not and uh as as well as we all know there's possible evidence this week that hunter biden is still in active addiction because ladies and gentlemen cocaine was found inside the white house We've all had a good laugh ab- about it, but really think about this for a minute. So first of all, um, we hear it was in the West Wing, and then we hear it was in a public place, and then we hear it's in uh, it's in a cubby, and then we hear it's uh, it was here, it was there, it was whatever. And of course, uh, uh, Kaylee McEnany said she talked to some Secret Service agents and said, "Oh, there's no there's no security cameras in that area." Really? Is that like Jeffrey Epstein's uh, uh, jail cell when he suicided himself? Um, is that is that what it is? And of course, that you know, Karine uh, Jean Pierre is saying saying, uh, "Hey, this is where there's a lot of public tour people go in there, and you wouldn't have 
You wouldn't have uh, security cameras where a lot of public people go in tours. A lot of those tours are self are self guided. So hey, you stick on some headphones and you listen to the stories and you walk through the White House, and you don't have a guide with you, and they don't have security cameras there. I'm going to call BS on that. Here's the original story on Sunday because the story keeps the story keeps changing. Here's what originally was Sunday. The White House was briefly evacuated Sunday evening after the Secret Service discovered a suspicious powder in a common area of the West Wing, and a preliminary test showed the substance was cocaine. Secret Service agents were doing routine rounds when they found the white powder in the area accessible to tour groups, not in any particular West Wing office, officials said. And, uh, you know, can we believe this? Who knows? The complex was evacuated at 8.45 p.m., on Sunday, as fire and emergency crews were brought in to do a rapid test, which preliminary identified cocaine. White House was soon reopened and the powder was sent for further testing. Why does it need more further testing? Because uh, a lot of other people want to test it. The original uh, report doesn't say the coke was found in a bag, but by Wednesday we heard it was in a bag, which tells me, hey, if it's in a little plastic uh, Ziploc bag, you can get fingerprints off that. On Wednesday, Karine Jean-Pierre was playing a whack-a-mole with reporters' questions and conjuring up this far-fetched scenario. Maybe the cocaine belonged to a regular American on a weekend tour of the White House. Where uh, where this was discovered uh, is a heavily traveled area where many White House uh, West Wing, I should be even more specific, uh, West Wing visitors uh, come through uh, this particular area. When people visit the West Wing, uh, there is uh, an air, there is the area of the West Wing where uh, it is highly uh, traveled, uh, and that is what happens. People come through this particular area; it's highly traveled. I'm just not going to get into specifics. We do have uh, West Wing tours that, that occur here uh, on campus. Uh, they happen in this particular past uh, couple of days. They happen on Friday, they happen on Saturday uh, and Sunday. Does the White House support the prosecution of this individual? I'm just not going to get into hypotheticals from here. Would the president be satisfied with, sir, this is a busy room and we found some cocaine. Uh, we don't know who brought it. So let's see what the Secret Service says, right? How determined is the president to get to the bottom of brought illegal drugs into the White House? The president thinks it is incredibly important to get to the bottom of this. Yeah, I heard another, uh, another reporter ask if they were going to do drug tests, like on everybody in the White House. And of course, uh, Karine Jean-Pierre said, we're going to do whatever it takes. Well, that's not the question we asked. Are you going to do drug tests on everybody who's in the White House? Now, well, they probably still have cocaine in their system where you could pick it up. Well, let's wait until the investigation is fully done. Then we'll do some drug tests. I don't think it works that way, people. Maybe you should do some drug tests right now and see who's using cocaine. And uh, you, can't, you can't fake that. Of course, they'll, they'll hide it. By Thursday morning, the story had suspiciously involved into one that would support KJP's scenario. From Reuters Thursday morning, cocaine discovered in the White House on Sunday was found in a cubbyhole in a West Wing entry area where visitors place electronics and other belongings before going on tours, a source said familiar with the matter said said Wednesday, um, where they put electronics in cubby holes where you put electronics. But I went on the WhiteHouse.gov and about tours, and they say that hey, you can bring in phones and you can bring in uh, you know there's a list of things that you can bring in cameras with lenses less than three inches long, uh. Uh, a, a number of different things, but oh, there's cubby holes where you put in your put in your electronics. 
Well, that's convenient now, isn't it? Isn't that convenient? And now an unnamed law enforcement official involved in the investigation told Politico, it's going to be very difficult to find the culprit because of where it was found. Okay, right, right. Oh, it's going to be very difficult preparing us for the fact that we're never going to know because they know who it is. It was Hunter. Uh, then some liberals are going on Twitter saying, someone should let Don Jr. know that they found his missing stash. And then, of course, a Republican went on and said, hey, you spelled Hunter wrong. So <clears throat> everybody's having fun with this. So let's talk about some other stuff. So that's the bottom barrel behavior uh, happening in Biden's White House. Elsewhere in the country, we're all feeling the effects of this open border policies while being told that post-Title 42 surge was a far-right conspiracy that never happened. But that's not exactly true. From the New York Times, we're, hey, you know what? New York Times is not a conservative paper. But here's what it says. The New York Times said on Monday, number of migrants crossing the U.S. southern border is down, but for how long? Officials say that the lull after nearly two years of increased crossing is not going to last. The article reports that the daily illegal crossings have, have uh, been 3,300 uh, per day since May, almost 50% down from March when it was just over 7,000. Then comes the twist. But officials say this lull after nearly two years of higher than usual crossings is not going to last. It goes on to say that two of Biden's new programs, number one, humanitarian parole for migrants from Cuba, Haiti, Nicaragua, and Venezuela, and number two, a family reunification program for migrants from El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras will contribute to the numbers going back up. So, uh, you know, hey, eventually they'll have they'll have programs to excuse just about every country that's coming in here just to make sure that they can keep coming in. Now, we've had someone here on the show before who has experience with migrants, the migrant crisis in Europe. Our friend Katie Hopkins was on the show back in September of 21 to warn us. Ordinary Americans are being displaced from their own land by these people who have been let in in their waves, and it's done purposefully, and it's done strategically, and it's done to give Democrats control. Uh, we know that. We've seen it here in the UK. Uh, it's been absolutely, you know, it's been horrific. Most British people feel like second-class citizens in their own country, and you can see how quickly that's happening here, and, uh, and it's brutal. Yeah, most people just ignore or just ignore all this because you know uh, it doesn't affect them until until an illegal breaks into their house or kills one of their kids. On whatever platform uh, will still have her currently, I think it's TikTok. Katie puts out a video every time there's an announcement in the United in the United Kingdom about some new benefit for migrants, which is often. Here's a montage. This is kind of long, but here's a montage. Uh, this is what this this is what we have to look forward to in the United States. Are you wondering why so many migrants are trying to come across the channel, one of the biggest shipping lanes in the whole of the world? Well, it's because of this. It's because your government, the British government, advertises to these asylum seekers what you'll get. You'll get somewhere to live, a cash allowance or both. You can choose whether you want a flat, a house, a hostel or bed and breakfast. How lovely is that? I wonder if we serve it to them in bed. I do hope so. Cash support, you'll get £37.75 for every person in your household. I am actually reading this from the government website. Your allowance will be loaded onto a debit card each week to make it easy for you to spend what you want to spend. 
Isn't that nice? You may get free National Health Service. You'll get free prescriptions for medicine, free eye tests, free glasses. As a British citizen, as someone that's paid in all their lives, do you get free prescriptions? Have you been offered a free place to live or somewhere that gives you bed and breakfast? I thought not. We've just received the news that we have record immigration figures of around 500,000, and that's just the punters that they know about. At the same time as we don't appear to have housing for the people that already live here, and British people can't access or get treatment on the NHS. If you're over the age of 70, you might as well forget it. Just lie down on your lounge floor, give up and die. Great news today for illegal asylum seekers here in the UK, where 15,000 of you will no longer have to sit through a really pesky, boring, dull interview in order to be able to access all of the benefits of the UK. All you have to do is fill in a little tinsy-wincy form. And I'm sure before too long, there's going to be offices springing up conveniently located to the hotels that you've been placed in that will fill in that form for you, probably at taxpayers' expense with all the right answers. And thank God, because if you come from Afghanistan or Eritrea or Somalia, you don't need to be bothering with things like language or form filling. You just want to get in and access all the things the UK has provided for you. And in fact, on that point, there is now 12 million government contract out for the provision of health and dental care services to illegals and asylum seekers here. And whilst ordinary British taxpayers like me had to wait 18 months recently just to try and get my driving license refused, you guys don't have to deal with any of that. And it's also a brilliant selling point, isn't it? For people who are trying their best to bring other illegals over on inflatable dinghies, now they can say, look guys, come over because you don't even have to sit through a pesky interview. So all round great news and a great time to be an illegal here in the UK today. Yeah, I wrote a book called Experience Matters, Here's Mine. And in that book, in that book, I talk about uh, learning from people's experiences. And it doesn't have to be your own. You know, they say experience is the best teacher as long. And I always add in as, as, as long as it's somebody else's experience. Because if you have to experience the lessons in order to learn from them, you're just wasting time. So why not? Why not watch movies? Why not pay attention to your elders? Why not learn from other people's mistakes? And take that experience and avoid those same problems yourself. So here we're seeing the open borders and the and the the crazy the crazy immigrant crisis in England. And Katie's been over here on my show for a few years, been on a few times, and she's been on TV and been on Fox and been on every other platform until they cancel her, warning us about what's going on in in the UK, what's going on in the in the whole European Union. And what's and the thing that drove uh, England to, to to do the Brexit vote to get out of the out of the European Union because of the open borders are making them feel like second class citizens in their own in their own house in their own country and the the crime and everything that's going on and some of you guys just don't even pay attention. Well, you know what I think of uh, my friend Agnes Gibney who had illegal alien uh kill her son and she so she's a she's a gold star mom now and she's made that her platform to get the word out is that what it's going to take we all have to have an illegal alien kill one of our kids before we realize that these open borders are are idiocy they're asinine we should learn by others mistakes if you haven't read my book get it at edhoffman.net as well and the audio you can get from apple books or audible and uh, so you can listen to it if you don't want to read it. But let's go on. 
Let's go on with uh, a little bit more from Katie Hopkins. She says, we're not in a war with the migrants, which we're not. We're in a war with the left, the people that are that are allowing these, these people to come in. Here's what they've done to her and what they want to do to all of us. And you think about what Donald Trump says, hey, they're not coming after me. They're coming after you. I'm just in the way. So so this is what this is what they've done to Katie Hopkins. And this is a preview for what they want to do to all of us. One of the great things about losing everything is it is actually very freeing. When there's nothing else they can take from you, uh, you are very free to speak your mind. And first of all, of course, they come for your jobs. So I used to have a column on a national newspaper. I worked for The Sun and then I worked for Mail Online for two years. I was kind of known as a face of BBC or ITV. Um, They took those jobs. When you stop saying the things you're supposed to say and start saying how you really feel. Then they came for my children. Uh, I've had four cases of social services at my door for reported welfare incidents for my children. And they hope that by reporting me as a bad mother, they will take my children and silence me that way. Then they came for my home. So uh, they have lawfare, you know, where you can use litigation to silence someone by repeated cases against you that you're supposed to settle because that's how it works. And because I refuse to settle, because I don't believe in lawfare or litigation that's against you to silence you, they took my family home. And then they came for my head. So two jihadis in the UK, uh, as a wedding present, the female wanted my head. What frustrates them more than anything is if they take all that from you and yet you still speak. You will not be quiet. I will not be silent. And one of the glorious things is about the left and the way that they push down on our side of the seesaw, you know, they try and shut us up is that what actually happens is the other side of the seesaw pops up and we find each other and our voices grow louder and louder. I say to the left, you are Frankenstein and I am your monster and you created me and I will shout in your face with our truths until we are heard and I am not going away. You will not get me yet. Let's take let's take a lesson from Katie Hopkins and from someone who's who's met her several times and had casual conversations with her. Um, she's a normal person like you and I, and she just can't be quiet. She can't see what she's seeing and stay quiet. And the Democrats are 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 champions of this of making lots of noise and bringing things to the surface. We need to do the same. We see all the idiocy that's going on and all the things that are going wrong in this country. And as long as we stay silent, the left will continue this movement. So get your voice out there, be loud, make a lot of noise and make sure that, that you talk with those people that are not on your side of the political spectrum, make sure that they understand the logical, the common sense and see what's coming down because it's coming down. This whole country's coming down if we don't. Hey, anyway, uh, I'm all out of time for this episode of The Main Event, so uh, God bless America. My name's Ed Hoffman. Thanks for listening to The Main Event, and I'll be back again with you next week.